Before we dive into episode three, we're going to introduce our first ever podcast sponsor. Thank you so much, No Issue, for sponsoring this podcast. If you don't know about No Issue, they are an eco-friendly packaging company and I myself have custom tissue paper printed from them, which I love. Your tissue paper is so nice. I get my stickers from them for my packaging. I just think if you put so much time and energy into making your artwork perfect and beautiful, you need to give the same amount of attention to the packaging. Mm, It's really beautiful. It's really good quality. It's all biodegradable, made from recyclable materials, and I love it. Yeah, you can create your own designs, upload them, and then they print them on tissue paper mailers stickers and it just makes your business look really professional and gives your artwork the respect it deserves Welcome to episode three of the Out of Ink podcast with myself, Biba and Oscar, and Molly Lemon. This is the podcast where two anxious creatives talk openly and honestly about life as an artist. I can't believe we're recording episode three. Feels like we've been doing this forever. Do we get a medal for getting to three episodes? Uh. I'll have to ask our host platform. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to ask our uh, producer. Oh, wait, we're the producers. Yes, please, medals for us. On our host platform, you do actually get a certificate when you reach five episodes. And I read a statistic. I think it was 90% or something like that of podcasts only have five episodes or fewer. So I think people just give up after that a lot of the time. So will we cut out all the competition if we reach six episodes? Maybe. We've got to get there first. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? What have you got going on this week, then? I'm working on new repeat patterns for autumn winter homewares because it's spring, and so (laughs) it's time to start thinking about when it's going to be cold again. Yeah. It's like that, isn't it? It's just a never-ending job. And my 2022 calendar as well which is a big job and Mm. because as you know I'm getting married in the summer it means there's a little bit more pressure to get stuff finished before then yeah how about you I've got quite a bit of work on but when I look at my calendar the thing that really stands out for me is my dentist appointment at (laughs) 6 30 on Thursday yeah you I know that you don't like the dentist it's going to sound terrible. It's just people are just going to Molly, that's me, because but... it is terrible. I really judged you when you told me this. But go on, tell the <laughs> that's world. That's what friends do. <laughs> so I haven't been to the dentist since I was 18. So in 10 years, basically. Which isn't great, really. <laughs> uh, but I just have such a phobia of it. The last time I went to the dentist, I was at sixth form. And I had to drive myself. I think it was like an hour drive to the dentist and that was stressful because I've got really bad driving anxiety and then when I got there I couldn't find a place to park and when I did find a place it was like a, where you had to parallel park and I ended up somehow with two wheels on the pavement and I then couldn't get off the pavement and I remember going backwards and forwards and I was just kind of like rocking around trying to get back off the pavement and I was stuck. <laughs> okay so is your fear of the dentist 
it, it's joined with the fear of driving, uh, is it? Yeah, definitely, because I then got out of the car and I might have already been crying and then I couldn't, because I'd have to driven around to try and find a space... I then just was completely disorientated and had no idea where the dentist was because it was, like, on a residential street in, like, a Victorian house. So then I had to call my mum and say I was lost and she tried to help me get to the dentist. And then when I got there, they were just not very nice to me. And then I think I might have cried at the dentist as well. And since then, I've just been so anxious and I haven't Mm. been able to go back. That does sound very traumatic. I actually don't mind the dentist. I, I used to think that being a dentist would be quite a nice job, mainly because I found out when I was younger that dentists earn quite a lot of money and (laughs) I really, really wanted a swimming pool. And then you thought, you'll be an illustrator instead because that's a much steadier income. And then I thought, I'll just pick a job on the complete other end of the spectrum where most of them don't make any money. So yeah, that's what I'm doing this week. So I have other things on, but that is the main the main thing on my mind. I just want to say, I remember you telling me when you booked the appointment in, and I remember thinking, oh, that's ages away. And yeah. I can't believe it's now this week. I know. When I did book the appointment, there was a very nice receptionist on the other end of the phone. Basically, I thought I'd better book it in, because I'm now within 30-second walk of a dentist, and I thought <laughs> I need to take this opportunity. Oh, so there's, there'll be no driving anxiety this time? No. So it would be perfect, uh, other than the dentist part. But when I told the receptionist I hadn't been in 10 years, she really did struggle to hide her judgment. She was pretty appalled at me. I struggled to hide my judgment. And and when you first told me, you said, don't, don't, I don't want to talk about it. Don't say anything else. Don't judge me. Let's move on. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's like PTSD, like I couldn't visit it. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of you that you managed to book an appointment. And in episode four... No, I'm, I'm sure not, you I'm tell not us all about it. <laughs> I'm not giving a recap of my dental health in episode four. Oh, well, that is disappointing. I'm sure there'll be viewers <sighs> dropping off all over the globe. But my voice might sound a bit different because all my teeth will be removed. So I'll just be a bit gummy. No, Molly, talk. they're not going to remove all your teeth. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Move let's on. I'm move thinking on. enough about the dentist as it is. I spent quite a bit of time today doing something that I wouldn't really class as productive. Mm. Um, And that was teaching my dog, Margot, the name of her lobster toy, Larry. (laughs) (laughs) And I was shouting downstairs. I was going, Margot, where's Larry? Where's Larry? Literally like that. And Adam was on a meeting upstairs and I got a text from him saying, oh, all I can hear in my meeting is you shouting, where's Larry, like a maniac. So we had to put that training on pause. So why were you trying to teach the name of the toy? Just thought it would be really cute if we were sat on the sofa and I said, Margot, where's Larry? And she just went and got the lobster. Did you? Do you not think that would be the cutest thing? It, it would be cute and... um. I'd class that as kind of productive. It's good to train them, isn't it? They like to use their brains. Yeah. So can she do it? She can do it. But then I had to obviously stop because Adam said I was interrupting an important meeting, (laughs) which was a bit rude. I think this was important too, but there we go. (laughs) And then when I went back and asked her to do it again, she just looked at me like, I don't know who Larry is, if I'm honest. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. They learn in the moment. They know exactly what they're doing. If you ask them an Mm. hour later to do the same thing, it's like they've... So we're going to have to persevere with it. It's going to be a daily thing. And Adam is just going to have to deal with the fact that I'm going to be shouting, where's Larry, quite a bit. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I hope she. Well, you're gonna have to keep us updated on that one. I will do. I've got a white wine spritzer today. Very nice. Mm. I don't even know what that is. Is that white wine with fizzy water? It's white wine with lemonade. Now, I always thought that a white wine spritzer was white wine and lemonade. But the other day, when I was out, I asked for a white wine spritzer. And they gave it to me with soda water. And I felt like that was a scam. (laughs) It was not the same. Yeah, I can imagine. You wanted that sweet hit. Yeah, I like it because of the lemonade. I was really upset when it turned up with soda water. Mm. Well, I've got a glass of water in a chipped uh, glass because all our glasses have a chip out of them, so I just roll with it. Can I buy you some new glasses for your <laughs> wedding? <laughs> but you now I, I know what, what, like, each one has a different chip, so I kind of get to know them. It's, it's how, how I define the glasses. You get to know the glasses. Well. Do they have names? No, I just, I sometimes you feel like one glass, sometimes you feel like another. <laughs> I feel like I'm going mad today. It is time for the anxiety scale. And we're moving back to food. We like a food anxiety scale. Most of our ideas are food related. Yeah. And this episode, the anxiety scale is based on pizza. So B, talk me through your anxiety scale. I found this really tricky because there are so many different pizza toppings and so for the purpose of this exercise I am using a menu from a well-known pizza restaurant that I won't name but I will tell you it's not Domino's because I don't want to pay £30 for a pizza. Also Domino's is disgusting. That's just so expensive. It's just ridiculous. It's too doughy. I'm not a fan. No, it's bad. Okay, number 10, which is the best one, right? Yeah. I've got vegan gardenera. I actually, I don't really like vegan cheese, so I've added, I've added some cheese to this, but I'll just read you out what the toppings are. Artichoke, yum. Mm. Uh, Mushrooms, delicious. Black olives, very nice. And then that's what comes on the on the pizza. But to bump it up to a 10, I've added some pesto and some truffle oil. Mm. Doesn't that sound that's delicious? Disgusting. No, that's delicious. <laughs> truffle. Like there's nothing more. Like it, it tastes like bad breath. That is all it tastes like to me. <laughs> like the worst breath you can imagine is truffle oil. No. Yeah, that's, that's just one of the most silly things you've ever said, Molly. No, it's horrible. You're never going to be able to Right, we'll agree to disagree because that for me is pizza number 10. Pizza number one, this is called a sloppy Giuseppe. <laughs> and um, I mean, it just doesn't sound good, does it? It really doesn't. <laughs> but I'll talk you through what's on it. It's hot, spicy beef, green pepper and red onion. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's so we're mainly here for the beef, let's be honest. I don't like pepper on pizza. I'm a vegetarian anyway, but even when I wasn't, I just thought beef was gross. Mm. So there we go. That's number one. Really gross, sloppy Giuseppe. (laughs) (laughs) And then today, I put myself at a five. I think I just couldn't really decide where I was in the scale, but I put myself at a five. And I've put a five as a Florentina. Right, I'll talk you through what this is. Okay. I was really, really dubious of egg on pizza when I first heard it was a thing. But Adam, my partner, really got into it and he made me realise it was quite good. So this pizza is spinach, egg, 
mozzarella and olives and it's quite nice but it's not the best so that's why it's my five egg on pizza sounds horrible no so it's a whole fried egg with a runny center and when you cut into it you can dip your (laughs) you look you look horrified for the viewers you can't see your face right now molly is (laughs) frowning immensely no and you dip your pizza crust in the runny egg and it's quite nice no, I'm not having that. I feel like, in general, you were just disappointed with my anxiety scale there. Uh, I kind of agreed with the first one until there's truffle oil. <laughs> oh, okay. Then I didn't. Well, why don't you talk us through yours? I have gone for my best pizza, which would represent the best day ever. Uh, and it says stone-baked margarita pizza. But it would have to be made in Italy and I'd have to be sat in an Italian restaurant to eat it. Are you kidding me? Your margarita is your best pizza ever. Is that a joke? <laughs> no, but I'm one of these people where anything you add takes away, so... I literally, I almost put margarita at, at, at one. Oh, no, I've disappointed you. <laughs> you have really disappointed me. I don't really like pizza, if I'm honest. I'm a pasta person, but I believe with pasta, you can't improve it from just pasta <laughs> and butter. Even cheese ruins pasta Pasta and, and pesto? No, that's way Hang worse. Hang on, I let's park this. Butter. Let's park this and we'll do a pasta anxiety scale. Okay, okay, sorry, I did get distracted then. Right, go back to the pizza. Okay, and my worst ever day, uh, number one, would be... Oh, I was really stuck between two. <laughs> um, I think I'll go with a meat feast. Oh. So... I don't, I'm a pescatarian, so I don't actually eat meat anymore, but that's, like, relatively recent thing. And I do have, my second favourite pizza is actually meat pizza, I just don't eat it anymore. So it's not against meat pizza, it's just, I think it's wrong to have lots of types of meat on a pizza. It's just fatty, and I don't like when there's two different types of animal next to each other, I think it's just really obscene. I feel like that about four cheese pizzas. Why put four different cheeses on a pizza? Well, I've got three cheese at number four, but I didn't realise there was such a thing as a four cheese, so that would be even lower. <laughs> Is that what you are at today, a four? No, so today I'm a Hawaiian. Hmm. What number's that? Hang on, let me guess. Because we're veggie, and mm. so you can't have ham on your Hawaiian pizza, is your veggie Hawaiian pizza just pineapple? No, my Hawaiian's ham and pineapple because I wouldn't eat it now, but I'm thinking back to when I did because if I was to rule out all pizzas with meat on, there wouldn't be much left, so I included them and I still like them. Molly, that is very anti-vegetarian. There's lots of vegetarian options for pizzas. (laughs) We must sell the vegetarian lifestyle in our podcast. No, I I don't eat meat anymore. I haven't eaten meat for about 18 months. It doesn't mean I don't miss it. I don't want to eat animals, but it doesn't mean I don't miss a pepperoni pizza. Yeah, we differ here because I've been vegetarian for longer, I think. Mm. But also, I didn't really love meat that much. Mm. So it wasn't hard for me to give up. I really liked chicken. And then I got pet chickens and realised that they were way better alive than they were as a roast dinner. So... (laughs) You need to guess where my Hawaiian is. Right, okay. I quite like pineapple on pizza. I would rate it quite high, but I also know you really well and I know you won't have rated yourself quite high because you had quite a bad day printing. Mm. I would say you were a three or four. No, I've put it at a five because I have to be better than a three or a four. Okay, so we're both at a five. So that should make for a pretty positive podcast because I think averagely that's 
higher than it normally is. It really is, except for last week when I was an eight and just rocked the scale. Yeah. I wonder if you'll ever be back up there again. I'm not sure. I, I think it was it was a rare occasion, wasn't it? So this week for the podcast, the topic is confidence. And as usual, we asked everyone to send in their questions that they'd like us to answer. Yeah, it was really helpful to get so many questions because when I was thinking about this topic, I just thought it's so broad. I don't even know where to start. So it's been really good to see what people want to hear about. And then it helps us chat about things people are most interested in. Yeah, so do keep sending in your questions week on week because it really does help. Should we get stuck in? Yeah. Okay, here is our first question. How do you get the confidence to sell your first piece? I'm trying to remember when I sold my first piece. Was your Were your first sales via Etsy? No, my first sale, so I did a foundation course, so I would have been about 18. And my final piece was six sets of nine prints and I sold I sold loads on that first on the preview evening someone came up to me and they wanted to buy a set and then I was like I don't have a price I wasn't (laughs) I don't know what was happening and and then I think someone pulled me aside and told me how much to sell them for who a tutor or yeah I think I think it was a tutor and they just guided me with a price and then I think I sold four out of six or something on that night and that was the first time I'd sold my work and it was so exciting and I sold them for way more than I normally sell my work for now (laughs) (laughs) that's so exciting though yeah it did feel good and then I think I had that as a bar went to uni made some pretty weird artwork and didn't sell (laughs) anything for years I had my final degree show in London and because I did a graphic design degree, a lot Mm. of the work was very, very heavily graphical and typography. And then there was me, the illustrator, kind of in the middle of this exhibition filled with all this graphic design. And a guy came and asked to buy my poster. And that that must have been the first sale I ever had as well. It feels exciting, doesn't it? But luckily, I just said to him can I take your email and then I'll send you a quote? So I had some time to think it over. That is a, that is a better idea. I mean, I, well, at the time I was asked, I don't think I had a very professional email address. So it was, it was a Hotmail account that I made when I was 11. But getting the confidence to sell your work. So both our first sales were, they just, we came across them. Someone asked and then we had to think of a price. But actually putting your work out there to sell when you haven't sold anything before is is a big deal, isn't it? I only started an Etsy shop because I had someone who was like a friend of a friend who wanted to buy a piece of work. And I thought, okay, this is a good opportunity for me to open my shop because it's very scary opening your shop and waiting for that first sale to come in. And as soon as the tally goes from zero to one, Mm. you just feel like you're a slightly more established shop. So I felt like it helped me starting the shop knowing that that first sale was going to be there. And then obviously it is scary and it is awful waiting for all the other sales to come in, but you just have to keep working at it and the confidence grows the more sales you have. Yeah, and you could open a shop, say an Etsy shop or Folksy or whatever you want to go with, and it's fine for your work to sit there and you just wait for a sale. No one's watching your shop and seeing, oh, they've got no sales, no one's noticing that. (laughs) So it's it's, put yourself out there and yeah you will sell you will sell something it just takes time at the beginning Mm, definitely um that leads quite well into question number two which is 
as you get older, do you feel your confidence grows in your work? Um, are we old now, Molly? <laughs> <laughs> well, it said older. I just think the more that you practice and develop as an artist, your confidence probably does grow because you're more confident in what you're producing. I feel like some days I'm confident and some days I'm not. It's It fluctuates. Mm. I think you just learn to be confident in yourself and not rely on other people to validate your work. Yeah, and the more you learn your technique or gain skills, when you start a new piece, you know what you're doing, so it's less of the unknown. Okay, next question. How do you keep feeling confident about your work if sales and followers are slow? I think this is a good one because your confidence definitely does take a bit of a battering when mm. sales are low. Yeah. I know you struggle with that. If, if you're having a slow sales day, that can really affect... It things. really, really, yeah, it really affects my confidence. I can, If I have a few days where I haven't sold anything, I can just end up doubting everything I do and I know that it's awful and you shouldn't do it but I just think it's probably quite common because you're thinking I'm spending all this time making work but if no one wants to buy it what's the point Mm. on the other end of the scale if you don't have any sales you can sort of use that as leverage to just push yourself and think well I need to get those sales so I just keep pushing out new work and hopefully I'll get there so it can go either way If followers are low, as it said in the question, as we said last week, it doesn't reflect your ability. Not at all. It just reflects how tricky it is to grow on social media. And people Mm. just aren't... It's normally people aren't seeing you rather than they're seeing your work and not liking it. People say, fake it till you make it. How do you feel about faking confidence? I feel like you have to in, in a way because... You have to cheer yourself on, don't you? Yeah, and if you were doing a show and you had to go to, say, a market, you have to be confident behind your store and represent your work well and talk about your work. You can't just hide behind your store and hope that someone's confident enough to catch your eye and then hand some money over. Mm. You need to really represent your work. And the same on social media. You need to go on your stories and talk about your work. And like, you might not be feeling confident that day, and, but you need to promote something and you're just going to have to put a brave face on. I think every single person on Instagram is trying to sell a little, you know, slice of their world. And in order to sell that, you have to be confident in it yourself because you have to put something out there and be really proud of it. And even if you're not fully confident in it, I think you have to appear that way because if you're not confident that it will sell, then maybe other people won't be confident enough to buy it. That is true, but then also on the other side, if you're not a confident person, as I'm not, and I don't think you are particularly... No. It's good to show that you're not really confident. I think if you come across too confident, you're just not that likeable. But if you want to show a bit of your insecurities, that's good too, because they're actually getting to know you and you're you're showing that you are vulnerable, but you're still putting yourself out there. Mm. How to have the confidence in asking for the price you want for your art. So we covered this a bit when we were talking about our first ever sales. But I do think it comes with age and experience because I was definitely undercharging um, as a newly fledged artist. Because you're just desperate to sell your work and to make it as an artist. So you don't want to scare people off with a really high price, do you? 
So you think, well, I'd rather make this sale, maybe for less than it should sell for, than lose the sale, lose out on any money at all. So I think that pushes you to price yourself lower than you're worth. Yeah, and also I felt when I first learnt wood engraving, which is the technique I create all my art with now, I just felt I wasn't very good at it. I'd only been doing it a few months. So I thought I can't charge more than a tenner for this because <laughs> I, this is like so new. I, I'm not, I haven't invested lots of time. Where, whereas I had actually gone through three years at university and £50,000 in debt. Like I'd done that. So that all led into what I was doing. It's just I learned this technique after uni. So it felt like I hadn't earned the right to charge properly for it. Yeah, but it's important not to undervalue yourself because that can put people off as well. Sometimes I'll be browsing Etsy and you you can see something and think, that's too cheap, what's wrong with it? Yeah. So people are more likely probably to buy something when it's properly priced and you've worked out the time that's gone into it, the skills, the energy, the materials, and then they 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 can see what they're buying with their money. Yeah, and also, if you underprice yourself, you're kind of doing a disservice to all the other people in your industry that are making similar things. That happens to me so often. Yeah, (laughs) It's annoying, isn't it? But I know I was that person. I know I was underpricing other wood engravers. And if you if you think you've priced something too high and you scare you scare that buyer off, another buyer is going to come along who is Mm -hmm. happy to pay that price. It's not like you're going to scare everyone away. Yeah, and also look at pricing in a way that's methodical. How much time has it taken you? What are your costs? And things like that, rather than just plucking it out of the air. So you've got something to back it up. Yeah, you've got to make your costs back on materials and things. Yeah. Okay. Any tips for art students who want to start selling their work but lack confidence? Um. So I think it's a good idea to start with quite a small range of products not try and offer everything all at once before you know what's going to be popular or what designs people are going to like so I think it's quite a good idea to try and start off with a smaller selection of things list those see how that goes grow from there yeah and also when you're at if you're an art student if you're at uni you could get a group together and you could do a market and things like that it's a great place to because you're not going to be relying on that money to live on because you've got your student grant. So you can play around with things. I know people who've started an Etsy shop and they've done it with someone else. Oh, right. So they're kind of splitting the costs and they're putting both of their work on there. And then that may be quite a good idea to start with. Especially if you have a friend and you're both doing similar work or similar styles. Yeah, and also you get more sales on one shop which I think helps with the algorithm on Etsy so it's help it'll be helpful to have someone on your side that's the other thing with Etsy and other shops like that is the more sales you get the more they put your work in front of people which is why it's so hard to start with because if you you haven't got any sales they're not going to put you in front of people because they're thinking oh people don't want that but really they just haven't had the chance of seeing it so it's hard to get going yeah it's really tough Do you have any go-to methods for bringing up your confidence when you're at a low point? So Molly, have you ever heard of the song Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen? No, I haven't. No, you need to go on YouTube now and listen to it. So sometimes if I am not having a good day, I can force myself to have a good day by listening to this song because 
it's just filled with so much good advice. I don't know what it's called, but it's a it's a talking song. I, I, it's not a rap. It's just a guy talking, talking to a beat and giving life advice. And I remember the first time I heard it and I remember thinking every single thing he says is so true. It just really resonated with me. So when I'm feeling down or I'm lacking confidence or I feel like nothing is going my way, I stick on everybody's free to wear sunscreen and the world's a better place. That is great advice. I'm going to listen to that later. It's by Baz Luhrmann if you got stuck. Although I think if you type in everybody's free to wear sunscreen, it'll be there. Yeah, I think that's probably a bit niche, isn't it? I don't know if I do anything specifically to up my confidence. I think I tend to wait out the low confidence days. Um, But you're right, listening to upbeat music can help. But yeah, I think I just wait out, which probably isn't great. And I should probably find some coping mechanisms for low confidence. (laughs) But maybe if you sit and you you could probably list 10 things you've achieved, 10 things you're proud of. And I'm sure if I listed that, lots of those things I would never have thought possible. And I have always find it's really lovely to look back at where you were a few years ago and think how proud you would be of yourself now. Yeah, because I'm always wanting more than what I've got. But I think where I am now, I never thought I'd be here. Um, I'm doing better than I ever thought, so I need to yeah, remember So that's that. amazing. That's the biggest confidence boost ever. Yeah, so I've actually just come up with a new coping mechanism for me. There you go. I remember finding um, a list of New Year's resolutions from a few years ago. And they were very small goals. I hadn't dreamt that big, but obviously at the time I thought they were huge. And it was mm. things like get a thousand Instagram followers, make a thousand Etsy sales. I look at that now and I think, imagine how proud I would be of myself if I could just go back and say, you know, you're going to get there. Yeah. It'd be amazing. A thousand Etsy sales is not a low bar. I remember it took me ages to get to a hundred. I never got to a thousand before I closed my shop, actually. It's good to set goals. I like setting resolutions each year. And yeah. Yeah how well that goes i do find if i set a goal and set a date to achieve that goal by i do generally hit it yeah because it's the stress i think and you don't want to let yourself down and when you're self-employed you're your own boss so you don't have the deadlines coming from other people yeah but you've got to get um a balance between being motivated by a goal and actually it just ruling you Mm. and and see and and it's just seeing the end goal in your head and really wanting to get yourself there have we digressed yeah (laughs) another question please why do we need confidence to create why can't we just create and not worry about it interesting question that that is you certainly can create and not worry about it yeah, if you're that way inclined. Unfortunately, I'm not. So. Social media has made everyone overthink the things that we are creating because you think that everything you make has to be shared. It has to have an end goal. It has to get X amount of likes. And yes, if you're creating work and that's your goal, then you are going to be a lot less confident, maybe. But if you're just making something for the fun of it, I don't think it matters. And... If you're struggling with confidence, you don't have to post your work out there for everyone to see. You can make work for yourself and just pin it up on your wall. It doesn't have to be... When you sit down and you create a piece and then you think, oh, I I need to show this, I need some content, it's probably not going to be great because there's a lot of pressure on you. So if if you just make it for you, it's probably going to turn out better anyway. 
Molly, do you ever make wood engravings anymore that you know, okay, I'm definitely not going to sell this, I'm just making this for myself? No, never. <laughs> I need to make one, actually, of the church we're getting um, married in because I need it. For, for the f- order of service. Yeah, and I've been putting off for ages because I just... It feels so low priority because I know I need it quite soon now, but <laughs> it's not going to better my business directly and then I find it hard. Well, that would be lovely, though. Yeah, I will probably do it. You can still post it on your social media. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, but no, the thought of just doing something for me, I've never even thought about doing that in years. Not since I've relied on my art for my income. It feels strange. Did you find it hard to be confident in yourself becoming a full-time artist? Yes, because it sounds like a joke profession sometimes. <laughs> it doesn't joke sound real. profession. Well, when you're younger and you're well, when you're about five five years old, someone asks you what you want to be, and you say, "I want to be an artist," and it feels like a, a young child's dream and not something that can be a reality. Well, there you go. You are living your young child's dream. Yeah, although I often wanted to be a writer, which would just be... I'd be useless at. I wanted to be a writer too. I loved writing. I wanted Mm. a bit of both, though. I used to write and then do illustrations alongside them. You're the whole package. (laughs) There we go. I'm the real deal. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, no, it is is hard. Um, And also, when I left uni... I was a picture framer and an artist. And when someone asked me what I did, I'd say I was a picture framer. And I'd say that even though I started dropping my picture framing days and I was an artist more of the time, I'd still answer that I was a picture framer. I did that as well. When I was a graphic designer and I was working part-time, I would only say I'm a graphic designer. It's just less to explain. And then I just think it sounded more grown up. You're you're still like a young adult and you're trying to find your way in the world and you, you want to sound professional when someone asks you what you do for a living. The first time I said I was an artist was when I was full-time artist and there was no other option to say anything else. And what was their response? People just say, oh, that must be hard to make a living. Do they? It's a bit rude and presumptuous. Well, that's what someone said to me on Sunday when they asked. That's the most recent person that's asked. And then I felt really defensive and had to stand up for being an artist and was like, well, actually, it's easier now with social media when really it is really hard, but I just didn't want to agree with her. Um, <laughs> I was stubborn. I just think the, the vibe I got from her was... She was really lovely, but I think when I said I was an artist, I think she thought that... I didn't really do anything, but sometimes I painted. I think that's a common misconception. I think a lot of people think that we just spend a lot of the time not doing very much, whereas actually we have to do all the creative work, but then we also have to do all the admin, all the packaging, all the posting, all the thinking, all the Instagramming. It is a full-time job. I don't spend nearly as much time as I thought I would drawing. No, definitely not. I think, yeah, the two things people say when I say I'm an artist is either that must be really hard, like, to make money, or, oh, that's that must be lovely. And both (laughs) kind of offend me, so I kind of have to stand up for both ways because people just assume you're just having the loveliest day. And we are really lucky (laughs) to to make art for a living, but we don't sit there and make art all day. It is very admin-heavy, so I... I just don't think there's um people have the right they don't know what to say when you know you say you're an artist. 
No, it's very up and down. I will sometimes have a day where I'm just sat drawing and I do have that moment where I think, I'm so lucky to be able to do this because this is just lovely. Mm. But those days are very much overshadowed by the days where I'm looking at my spreadsheet filled with taxes and having to send out loads of admin emails. Yeah, it's a, it's a balance, Slash pay enormous invoices when you haven't made that money and you're just hoping that you will recuperate the costs. I know, I was looking at... I, I've been really good and I've been doing my taxes every Monday, my accounts every Monday, keeping up to date so I don't have to sit and do them all in one week like I did earlier in the year. And I was looking at them on Monday and I was like... I am still in the red this year and that was really <laughs> depressing because I've worked so hard. That's the problem with doing them month by month because if you do them at the end of the year... Yeah, you should be in profit, hopefully. Not always. But so far this year, I'm in the red. I never feel like I'm a very confident person and I would say I've got low confidence but then I think my actions say that say otherwise because I put myself out there all the time I talk on my Instagram stories and I'm always doing things that push me and I think you come across as really confident on Instagram you're on stories way more than anyone else that I follow (laughs) and there'll be days where I think there'll be days where I think I should do a talking story I'll just show up on Instagram a bit more but I just I just can't Mm. And you know, I'm just having one of those days where I don't want to show my face. I don't want to talk to the world. But you're, you're always there. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. And also, I am really anxious when it comes to just chatting to people I don't know. But then I do shows a lot, and I go and do five days. Have day you got shows. a split personality? Mommy? Maybe, maybe. I think it's um. So I've I've got low confidence, but then I've got high aspiration, and they kind of battle against each other. So. I think it's quite a good combination because as you say you don't want to come across as overconfident because nobody wants that no um so it's always better to err on the side of caution with uh confidence yeah I think if I was confident and had my high aspirations I would be insufferable and no one would want to (laughs) speak to me (laughs) do you think your experiences at school affect your confidence now School is a scary place. Um, I don't think I was a confident teenager other than around my group of friends. I had a very tightly knit group of friends and I I was probably the confident one of that bunch. But if you took me out and you plucked me in the middle of the playground amongst all the other scary kids, I was not confident at all. How about you? I think I was confident when... Because I think everything when you're younger really affects you as an adult I think those years are really they really impact your personality and I went to a primary school where there were only 60 people in the whole school and everyone knows everyone and you just know every single person and it's nice if there were any ever any bullies or whatever they'd be called out and people would notice but then I was put in a massive school for secondary school it felt massive and I don't know barely anyone and it was just the worst experience (laughs) and the worst however many years I was there it was awful I hated it and that really I just felt like such a small insignificant person it was awful I went to school in Somerset where the school system was very odd and though I went to middle school so primary school middle school and then secondary school yes but when I finished middle school 
which was year eight, all of my friends, everyone in that school migrated off to, I won't name it, but another school. This (laughs) school had just failed its Ofsted. So my parents went, there's no way you're going to that school. And they plucked me from my middle school and dropped me (laughs) into, into another school where I knew one or two people Mm. and that was it it was really scary but it was probably the best thing that could have happened because it was a really really creative school and they had an amazing art department and it might have shaped who I am today Mm. see my secondary school was really not creative and I I think I got the highest grade in my class in art and that was I think it was a B so it wasn't a, it wasn't a very arty school um so that it didn't give me the best skills for what I do now I, I remember so after my plucking from middle school to this other school um and I they obviously didn't really know where I was grades wise because I hadn't been in that school from the start so they sort of I don't know how they worked it out, but they sort of guessed. And I ended up being put in higher set maths. And I was <laughs> sat at the front of higher set maths. Like, I really, really do not belong in this room. <laughs> Take me out now. I was in the low... I think I was in... I don't know if it was the lowest set for maths, but it was really low. And no one could really <laughs> add up in that class. <laughs> and I was the... I really liked it because I was the best one in the class, which wasn't saying much. <laughs> And uh, if you finished the... So she'd write the questions on the board. And if you finished first, you got a sweet. So I was down with that. I was, like, <laughs> racing to finish. And I'd put my hand up and I'd get the sweet. I was really bad at maths. But I'm going to blame my teacher because you won't believe this story. This is ridiculous. I had this maths teacher, right, who would sit at the front of the class. And he had a sign that said... <laughs> help zone and then it either said either said open or closed and yeah and if it said closed you could not ask him for help you couldn't (laughs) put your hand up you couldn't tell him he was stuck he was closed I don't know how he was a teacher at this school but honestly most of the time the help center was closed so this is the school that didn't (laughs) fail Ofsted yes (laughs) god that's so bad So Molly, after talking about confidence, what advice would you give? I think it's a really fluid thing and some days you're going to be feeling confident and other days you're not. And it's not something that just builds and you get more and more confident. I think your confidence grows and also gets knocked. It's not just an upwards trajectory, it's up and down. Mm. So I think just accepting that some days are going to be better than others and if you're not feeling confident one day, that's okay because that w- it will come back over time. Yeah. I think just having confidence in yourself is a big one. I don't mean portraying yourself as a really confident person. I just mean waking up and believing in yourself, having the confidence in yourself to just keep going and not worrying about what other people think, not worrying about how popular your Instagram posts are going to be or whether your work is good enough to post. Yeah, everyone's capable, aren't they? And everyone's got something different to bring. Oh, I can't wait to see you this weekend, Molly. 
Yeah, it's going to be really nice. We had to cancel our meetup last week because we planned the meetup on the wettest, the yeah. windiest day of the year. And I was so sad about it. I know, you were really distraught. And I was like, there are other days. You, you need to calm down. By the time this podcast comes out, I believe people will be able to go in other people's houses. And you were saying that we can hug as well. Yeah, from from next Monday. And it's not, there's no restrictions on who can hug. Although it did say, obviously, if you've had two vaccinations, you're much safer than if you've had none. I don't think I'm looking forward to the hugging coming back, if I'm honest. <laughs> so Molly divulged to me the other day that she actually just really doesn't like hugging. Because <laughs> no. we realised that we've never hugged. Because our friendship was born during coronavirus. Yeah. Actually, I think what Molly said is, B, I've just realised I've never touched you. <laughs> that is what he said. And there's no way to say it that doesn't sound weird. But no, but we haven't. It is weird though, isn't it? It is weird. We've never even brushed hands, B. No, we'll have to walk around holding, holding <laughs> hands from next Monday. <laughs> oh, thank God we're meeting on Sunday and we're not allowed to hug yet. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon we can break the rules a day early. I'm no. going to give you a big old squishy hug. No, I'm actually after. So I see you on Sunday. We won't be allowed to hug, and then I'm just going to avoid you forevermore. So no. Hugging, no hugging. <laughs> oh no. No, I don't hate hugging that much. I was just really quite happy when it was made illegal. <laughs> <laughs> the government said that they actually never made hugging illegal. People just assumed they weren't allowed to hug, but apparently. It was never specified. But you weren't allowed to go in within a metre or two metres of each other, so it's not... Yeah, but you could have hugged with extendable arms. You could Mm. have hugged with a toy in between you, a really, really big teddy bear. Well, why didn't I think of that? I don't know. (laughs) But they never said, don't hug. People just assumed. Well, I'm going to have to navigate this new world of hugging from next week. No, I I don't mind a hug. I just prefer a wave from afar. Mm, How far? Not too far. Don't you think it's so awkward when you're meeting someone (laughs) and you're walking towards each other and you can see each other, but maybe there's 30 seconds between you. I hate that (laughs) so much. It's so awkward. I'd just rather have not seen them at all. Yeah, you've got to pretend you're looking at your phone and you've really got to finish (laughs) something off before you look up and go, hi. And if you say hi too early and wave then you've got an awkward time between you where you're trying to have a conversation at a distance, but you can't quite hear each other, and it's just the worst. Hopefully you've enjoyed episode three and you'll come away from this episode just feeling a little bit more confident. Um, Maybe we've given you some tips or just some hope that you can be confident within yourself. Molly, what's the topic for next week? I was thinking we could talk about taking a plunge from being part-time or making art as a hobby to being a full-time creator. Yeah, that's a good one. I think there'll be lots of questions about this. Yeah, I don't actually know what we're going to call this podcast. I've been writing down different ways of saying it that are quite short (laughs) and I haven't come up with anything yet. But by the time the next podcast is out, you will see in the title what we've come up with. But basically, it's going to be about going from part-time to full-time and art as a job. Mm, interesting so if you do have any questions that you would like us to answer in episode four please do email them over to outofinkpodcast at gmail.com 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review our podcast and leave us five stars because that will do wonders for our confidence. And as you can probably tell from this episode, we do need a confidence boost. Right, I'm going to go and hide somewhere now and just shake thinking about going to the dentist on Thursday. How many teeth do you reckon you're going to get pulled out? Four. I've just got (laughs) a feeling it's going to be four. Oh, I'm dreading this.